So I remember the first day of sixth grade. Does anybody else in here remember the first day of sixth grade? I remember this day because I was sitting in the bleachers by myself. Back then, I was actually a pretty quiet, reserved kid. Some of you are like, I can't picture that. But it's true. I was pretty quiet and kept to myself. And so first day of sixth grade, I was sitting in the bleachers, and we had to be there uh, early um, because our bus got there early, and you had to sit in the gym before you could go on to class. And I remember that day because I met someone that day that changed my life forever. I met someone on the first day of sixth grade that would forever change my life. I was sitting there, and the school counselor came in, and she found me, and she said, Hey, Mark, uh, this is a new student. I'd like for you to be their friend and help them navigate the school. His name is Tony. Some of you are like, I thought you were going to say your wife. Right? I did not meet my wife on the first day of sixth grade. That is a great story for another time. Um, but I met Tony first day of sixth grade, and Tony and I would be friends through high school. And it started out, Tony was a, a great friend, but I learned very quickly that Tony knew things. And Tony knew things about girls. You laugh because there was probably a Tony in your life if you're a guy, or you might have been Tony to someone else. Right? We all have that character, that person in our life that just knows more things than we do. And Tony was that guy. He used words that I, I didn't know. I guess my parents had done a pretty good job um, isolating me up to that point in life. It was Tony that had me say something inappropriate to a girl in sixth grade that got me sent to the office. He knew full well I had no idea what I was saying. All right? And the principal figured that out too. All right, we all probably have a Tony in our lives, someone that kind of came in and seemed like a good influence and over time maybe wasn't. All right, here's a true statement we can all agree with. We should choose our friends wisely. You agree with this? I mean, we teach children this, right? Choose your friends wisely. Uh, We know this to be true because how many times do we say, so-and-so was a really good kid, but they fell in with the wrong crowd, right? They got involved with people that were a bad influence on them. And all of a sudden they started picking up language or habits that just were not what they were raised to do or believe. We have to choose our friends wisely. We can all think of people who probably developed bad friendships that led them into the wrong crowd. And I have young children, so I haven't really navigated that season of life yet, but I'm sure as a parent, it can be super painful to watch your child develop harmful relationships. I'm sure it's very painful to watch a child develop negative thoughts about themselves and about others. I'm sure it's painful to watch as a child picks up an addiction or a disorder as a result of association with bad influences. Actually, last night, my wife was showing me uh, an obituary she was reading for a a friend of a friend whose 20-year-old daughter died from overdose, right? Probably as a result of getting in with a crowd that has some very negative influences on her. We all know we need to choose our friends wisely. And I wonder, do you ever think our Father in Heaven looks down and views us very similarly? Like, I just wish they would choose their friends more wisely. Uh, If you follow Jesus, you are his child. 
You are loved. You are redeemed. Jesus laid down his life for you and I. And yet how many times do we tend to betray our friendship with him for friendship with someone else? And how many times do we choose the Tonys in our lives over Jesus? How painful that must be for him to watch as we drift into unhealthy, devastating friendships. Now, we're going to be in the book of James today. We're continuing our series, Life According to Jim. So if you brought your Bible, you can open that up to chapter 4, James chapter 4. If you would like to open it up, there's a Bible in your seat back. And if you're here on campus and you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. It's a gift. You can have it. Take it home and read it. If you're online, click on the notes section. If you're on our live.oklahonacc.org stream, and you can click the notes and see all the sermon points and the scriptures for today. That would be super helpful for you. And so we're continuing in our series, Life According to James, and today we're going to pick up in chapter 4, and I actually want to start in the middle of the section of James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. So James 4, 4. Here's something James says to the early Christians. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, just a warning, if you wore open toe shoes this morning or flip-flops, your toes might be a little tender by the time we get to the end of today because I want to honor James's tone in this passage. James has a very straightforward way of saying things, not to cut people down, but actually to lift them up. And so I, I ask that you have an open heart and an open mind this morning as we work through what James is saying and applying that to our context. And so just be open-minded as we go through today. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means you're an enemy with God? He's basically calling them a bunch of cheaters, is he not? You adulterous people. In fact, that's a reference to a story in the Old Testament where one of the prophets was called to marry a prostitute. And that's a, that's a weird story. It's, it's another time again. Basically, he's saying, you're kind of like that prostitute. You keep going back to the places you shouldn't go, and God has to keep coming after you. That's the, the vision that he's conjuring up in their mind. And he says, you can't be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. Because here's what that word friendship means in that passage. You say, he says, friendship with the world is opposition to God. Friendship is opposition to God. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to go out and like help people find and follow Jesus, right? So most people in church probably are doing that. So I got to go out in the world. Shouldn't I be going out and being friends with people and teaching them and baptizing them and all those things? And it's like, I think somebody named Jesus said that. Like we're supposed to go out and make disciples. So James, are you contradicting what your brother Jesus is saying. And it's really important we know what that word friendship means. You see, friendship in this context is a close relationship with or a companion is the language James is using. He says, when you become close friends or a companion with the world, he said, you cannot be that and a close companion, have a close relationship with Jesus. He said, it doesn't work that way. You can't date both at the same time. The world he uses as a reference to our sinful natures, our fleshly desires, maybe even the really good things in life 
that sometimes seem like blessings but really pull us away from our relationship with Jesus. He tells them that friendship with the world doesn't create anything good in their lives. And let me kind of survey the things that he says. He says, friendship with the world will actually produce fighting and quarreling and inner turmoil. In verse 1, he lays that out for them. In verse 2, he says, a friendship with the world will actually make you very a covetous, covetousness and murder, actually. He says in verse 11, it'll cause you to slander others, to speak falsely about other people. And then in verse 12, he says, it'll cause you to cast judgment on people. A friendship with the world won't create anything good. In fact, friendship with the world will steal your time and your money and your joy, your energy, your faith, and more. A friendship with the world will steal your time and your money your joy, your energy, your faith, and more. And you may say, I I don't see it, Mark. I'm not seeing how being friends with the world could do that. Let me give some examples, some practical ways that being friends or close companion with the world actually puts us in opposition to God. You see, friendship with the world will cause you to see your neighbor's new vehicle and want the same thing or maybe slightly better. And so it'll cause you to go out and take a massive auto loan that you really can't afford and pay for a house that you really can't afford to keep up with the people who bought that new vehicle who really couldn't afford it in the first place, creating strain on your marriage, stealing time with your family because you gotta work so much to sustain that lifestyle. You see, friendship with the world will make you envy and covet other people's things. And having nice things isn't wrong. Having a nice car and a home can be a great blessing. But if we mortgage our futures to pay for our past, I'm not sure that's very helpful. A friendship with the world might cause you to sacrifice your children's spiritual growth on the altar of sports. Uh, There is no shortage of Christian families right now who are on the fields rather than in church on Sundays. And why? Why? Why is that? You see, because friendship with the world will tell you that your 10-year-old child won't be successful unless they play this or that sport all year long. And so you'll spend tons of money, arrange your entire calendars around one thing, sit in the hot sun for hours and hours and hours, drag yourself through the work week to make it to the next destination exhausted. Also, your young child can spend hours playing a game to make you proud. And sports can be a blessing. Sports can be a great thing. They can teach us a lot about self-discipline and hard work and cooperating with others. And if you have the opportunity to coach your children, you have a tremendous impact on them and others on the field. But what is our priority? I had an opportunity recently to sit down and have coffee with with an older gentleman. And I was kind of telling him what my sermon was going to be about. And he was just encouraging me. and, And he said, you know, my daughter played Soccer. She was really good at soccer. And he said, so we did the whole travel soccer thing. They would go and be gone. They'd go to Texas. They'd go to Maine, be all over the place. And I asked him, I said, was it worth it? And his response was yes and no. He said, we did spend a lot of time and a lot of money. And she ended up getting a scholarship to play soccer. And so that was a blessing. He said, but it was really hard to keep our faith 
at the forefront. It was really hard to keep that a priority, but one thing he said that they tried to do, this was back before online streaming was, was really a thing. He said they would find a church wherever they were traveling and go there on a Sunday morning. So they, they created these really unique experiences as families where they would go to these random churches. And he said, sometimes I told the kids, hey, we're going to sit in the back because I don't know much about this church. I don't know if they're going to be bringing snakes out. I don't know what's going to happen. And so they would, you know, they would be cautious and wise. But they created some really unique memories. And both his children followed Jesus. And so he said, we navigated both worlds, but it was work. They really had to work at it. Maybe you take your cue from him. Get your kids involved. Teach them things. But make sure relationship with Jesus is first and foremost in your lives. All right, a friendship with the world will steal your time and your money and your energy and so much more. A friendship with the world will make you think you won't be happy without time on the lake or time on the beach or time spent doing this thing or doing that thing. And so you'll buy a big boat or take out a second mortgage or buy a big truck to pull a camper and be gone from church two to three months out of the year. And having those opportunities can be incredible blessings, creating unique, special memories with your families. That's a beautiful thing. But at what cost? Will your children grow up seeing a friendship with Jesus on display or a friendship that comes second to the friendship with the world? And I want to be clear, I'm not picking on sports families or, or lake people, because the same can be true for church people. You may come to church every Sunday. You may have your kids in programming. You might be in a small group. You might serve every opportunity you get. You might go on an overseas mission trip. You might send your kids to a private school, hoping that all those things will teach them about Jesus, because you don't really have a relationship, a friendship with Jesus. There's a whole movement right now called the deconstruction movement. That's kind of a buzzword in like modern Christianity. It's basically this group of young adults who are deconstructing their faith. They're moving from religion to things they call spirituality. Because what really happened was there was an incredible disconnect that occurred in their life. What they saw and heard in church and then what they saw in their parents at home. And so it looks like, hey, we were in church all the time. We looked like a great church family. And then my parents got divorced. It seemed like out of the blue when I was a teenager, and it rocked their entire world because everything they thought was true was shattered. And so whether you're at the lake or at the ball field or in church, the friendship with Jesus is first and foremost. All those other things will be very enticing. And so it can happen right here in the church. A friendship with the world will steal your time and your money, your joy. Friendship with the world will make you think your house isn't nice enough. And so you feel the pressure because you look on social media and you stage your house to look like a magazine, decorating for every season very elaborately. And you got to work a side hustle job to pay for that because you don't have the revenue stream to really support that. And you're exhausted all the time because you never feel like your home is really good as what you see online. And you're miserable, but your house is pretty. Should we take care of the things we own? Absolutely. But if it owns us, I'm not sure that's where I want to live. Friendship with the world will make you feel ashamed of your beliefs and doubt your faith. It'll make you feel bad about your weight, self-conscious about your looks, anxious about your future, and on and on it goes. The world is basically a mean girl. 
Do you know the reference? The movie Mean Girls, where there's this group of girls that pull you in and they make you think that they are your friends, but really they're manipulating you and talking really nasty behind your back, and so they draw out of you. They take and they take and they take, and you are left empty. He says a friendship with the world is basically like a friendship with a mean girl. It's going to steal, and it's going to rob, and it's going to take, making you think it's filling you up, when actually it's leaving you very empty. So it makes sense when James says a friendship with the world means you're in opposition to God. A relationship like that is by nature in opposition to God. And so he says you can't have both. You can't be a friend, a close companion with the world and with Jesus at the same time because they're complete opposites. You'd be torn in half. Friendship with the world takes and takes, making you think you're filled up when you're actually drained of life. And yet James goes on to lay out some really good news in the rest of this passage. He says there's actually a friendship that does the opposite. He says there's actually a friendship that will fill you up, that's a giving relationship, that will give and give and give and fill you up with what Jesus calls an abundant life. And so he says as believers, we have a choice. The outside world will do what they want. Remember, James is talking to believers. He's talking to those who claim to follow his brother Jesus. He's saying you cannot be friends with the world. He's like, you're pursuing all these things, and you're even asking God to give you all these blessings, but he won't bless you because you want to use it for the wrong motives. And he's like, it just causes fighting and quarreling, and you're torn in two. He's like, pick a friend and stick with them. And he says a friendship with Jesus looks radically different than a friendship with the world. You see, a friendship with Jesus will give you love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're familiar with scripture, that's, those are called the fruits of the spirit, the things that become evident in our lives when we follow and have a close relationship with Jesus and his spirit dwells in us. You see, Jesus is a friend that will give and give, filling you up with abundant life. James says that a friendship with Jesus and the gift of his spirit within you will cause him to show favor on you, he says in verse 6. He says, if you ask, you will receive because it will be of pure motives. He said, Jesus will draw near to you as you draw near to him. Think about that. The God of the universe that spoke everything into existence and holds everything together will come near to us. That's a profound thought. It says, and he will lift you up. A friendship with Jesus will make you realize that your imperfections are actually the things he will use to build his kingdom. His disciple Peter was a hothead. James and John were really young. Paul was formerly a murderer. And yet Jesus used those guys to help build his kingdom. A friendship with the world would have never given those men an opportunity to do anything of note. A friendship with, the, with Jesus will help you take the pain of tragedy and find purpose in it by helping other people. A friendship with Jesus will help you forgive your spouse when they hurt you and extend grace to your children when they disobey you. A friendship with Jesus will empower you to overcome addiction. 
A friendship with Jesus will help you realize that you are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made and that he loves you deeply as you are and too much to leave you where you are. A friendship with Jesus will cause you to have empathy for others, cry tears for those who are hurting, and serve until you're tired. But it's a different kind of tired. A friendship with Jesus will help you balance the blessings of life, and it'll help you balance your priorities, share your blessings, and be generous with others. And so we should probably ask ourselves this question today. Who is the better friend? The world? Or God. Uh, based on what James lays out of what happens in our lives when we have a friendship with the world versus a friendship with God, which is the better friend? And I think we probably all know the answer. And the question is, which one do we choose? Who are you and I cozied up to the most? Who are we in the closest relationship with? Who are we a companion with? The world or Jesus? It's an important question, and he's asking them that. So let's take some time and really think through that. And you might say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure how do I gauge whether I'm really in a close friendship with Jesus or a close friendship with the world. And as I was wrestling through that question, I thought, you know, every friendship requires some things. In fact, I saw a meme the other day that said, adult friendships require appointments now. You know, like, hey, are you available next Tuesday at 3 o'clock? Like, we have, to pin, we have to write people into our schedules because lives get busy. And so when you think about your friendships, those people that are closest to you, that you would say, man, these are my people. These are my friends. I bet you'll find these things. I bet you'll find that your friendship requires time. Time spent together. And I bet you'll look back and you'll say, you know what? Our friendship required some sacrifice. I had to give up some things or do some things. I owned a truck and had to help somebody move three times, you know, all the craziness of friendship. It requires sacrifice. You might have bled for them, literally, moving their furniture. It requires sacrifice. It requires communication. You can't really be friends with someone that you never talk to. So you have to continuously be in communication with them, and it requires perseverance. Friendship requires perseverance. You've got to see it through. You've got to work at it. Anybody remember the show Cheaters? The show Cheaters, if you don't know the reference, basically it allowed you, if you were suspicious of your significant other cheating on you, you could hire a private investigator and they would film it and that guy would go and find out if your, if your significant other was actually cheating on you or not. I can't recommend the show, but it's a great illustration. And so this, the show Cheaters, you could follow this private investigator around as he tried to determine whether someone was being, um, being cheated on or not. And he would, you know, capture all this. And sometimes they were cheating and sometimes they weren't. And it got me thinking, you know, what if, what if a private investigator was hired and followed us around and said, who is this person really friends with? What would he conclude based on time, sacrifice, communication, and perseverance? Who would the private investigator find you spending the majority of your time with? Who would he see you sacrificing for, bleeding for, sweating for, serving? Who would he find you talking to the most or talking about the most? Maybe those are useful thoughts as you start to consider who am I really cozied up with, the world or Jesus? And I suspect you probably know the answer to that already. 
and only you can really know. It's between you and God. And, and yet, who are we cozied up with? What would that private investigator find? And so this can kind of feel a little bit like heavy, right? Like, James, thanks a whole lot for basically stomping on my toes. Well, what do I do now? You've kind of, you know, knocked me off my ladder here. What, what do I do? And, and James lays out a really nice way of working through this process in the second half of the chapter. And so I want to walk us through what James says we can do to help cultivate a friendship with Jesus. He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like the way he says that. Resist the devil and he will flee. I have this picture of like the devil running away. You know, the devil's not really that hard of a worker. He can't be everywhere at all times. He's going to use systems and people and processes to entrap us. But he says resist. He'll run away. He may circle back and check on you. He says resist the devil. We have to work at that. And I'm not saying we have to work for our salvation. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying work on our friendship with Jesus. Get rid of the mean girls that are crowding up our time and stealing from us and focus on Christ. Submit in this context means to put him first in our lives. He goes on in verse 8. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Again, what a beautiful picture that is of God coming near to us. Spend time with God. Talk to him regularly. Scripture says he draws near to the tenderhearted. He goes on to say, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Some of us may need to confess our worldly relationships. Some of us may need to purge our lives of things that draw us away from Jesus, even really good things, but are ultimately stealing from us. Some of us maybe need to stop living in denial land where it's like, no, 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 I, I'm a friend with Jesus, but really I'm over here doing this all the time and church fits in reg, you know, every now and then. Some of us maybe need to clear our minds and figure out what we care about the most. He goes on to say, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That does not sound very helpful, James. That, that sounds very sobering. But maybe some of us need to grieve over the relationship we've created with the world because of how it's grieved God. If I were to retranslate that and this into like Mark's language, which wouldn't be helpful for much else, um, but I would say James is kind of saying, hey, you know what? It's time to wipe the smirk off the face. Remember who Jesus is and stop playing around. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he ends on verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We can all remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us daily. Remember that he laid down his life so that we could have ours. We remember that daily. That ought to put us on our knees and cause us to drop our pride and to focus on the friendship we're creating with him and not the world. 
And so here's the truth you might want to write down. If you're taking notes or you want to take a screenshot or something, if you've been asleep the whole time, uh, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, I want you to capture this thought. This is really the heart of what I want to communicate with you this morning. You see, the world sacrifices you so that it can live. Jesus sacrificed himself so that you can live, so that I can live. You see, a a friendship with the world will steal you. It'll steal your time and your money, your joy, your energy. It'll take from you. It'll sacrifice you so that it can fuel itself. And yet Jesus sacrificed himself, gave up his life so that you and I could live. That sounds like a friend I want to have. Friendship with Jesus sounds like one I want to work on the rest of my life. Submit yourself to the world, James says, and you'll be abused, stressed out, in turmoil, and constant fighting. Submit yourself to the loving friendship of Jesus and be covered by grace, love, truth, provision, and on and on. My hope for you this morning, my prayer for you this morning is that you'll choose the second, that you'll submit yourself into the loving friendship of Jesus and spend the time, make the sacrifice, communicate regularly and persevere in that relationship. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the truth that you really did lay down your life for us. I know who I am. I know what I've done, the things I've done to grieve you. And yet you looked at me and you said, you're worthy. You're worth something. Those of us in this room who follow you, may we not forget that sacrifice. May it not become something that's numb to us. I pray for those here who have been traveling with Jesus for years, maybe decades that we spend some time reflecting and evaluating where our priorities are and and what we're pursuing and ultimately pursue a friendship with you because that'll last forever. And if there's anyone listening who has never made you their friend, has never sacrificed and surrendered their life to you, I pray they do that because you're a friend worth having. You prove that on the cross and at the grave. So help us make decisions that will move us closer to you. It's in your precious name we pray.